the dead of night when when the world is asleep um it's just silence it's just head and, and silence aids headspace you know it's like meditating you know people meditate to shut off the outside all the outer sound the white noise and it's the same thing it's just so much more conducive to writing if you've got silence that's Fiat Moriarty this week I'm from the Maker to the Maid podcast listening to from the maker to the maid podcast hello hello you're very welcome back thanks for listening this week is a milestone we broke 200 listeners on the podcast this week so i would like to thank everybody who's been listening um 200 people mightn't seem like a lot from where you're sitting but for me uh, having this podcast has been really uh, an amazing experience and uh, yeah thank you very much for all the people that have tuned in so far Um, really means a lot you're very welcome this is From the Maker to the Maid my podcast where I sit down with with artists and creatives and try and explore their personal process and also dive into what it means to be a working creative in the modern in the modern age. Um, on the show this week is Fiek Moriarty. Fiek is a sublime singer and songwriter and a veteran all-around musician. Over the course of his two albums, 2010 So I and 2015's The Revolution, Fiek has performed with and garnered praise from such well-renowned artists as Paul Brady, Damien Dempsey, Gilbert O'Sullivan and Ray Davies of The Kinks. As well as a stellar solo career, he is also an acclaimed TV presenter and a session musician for the Late Late Show house band and nouveau track groups like Aldock and Bioga. He also hosts a singer-songwriter night in Dublin, the Apollo Sessions, at uh, the Bleeding Horse every Sunday. So if you want to try out your songs, come along um, to a very welcoming place. Absolutely great and you might meet me there too um, possibly we recorded this episode on a rare Saturday night where neither of us were out working um, gigging so it was a chance to drink some wine and wax philosophical we discussed the benefits of writing at night time uh, how he's going to be an artist in residence in Carlow College next year we talked artist privilege and we also tackled Brexit and politics and I got a history lesson. Um, all of the links to all of Fiek's uh, socials and his music, uh, including his current single, Everything Will Rhyme, which is a great piece of uh, kind of 20s nostalgia. Uh, they're all available on the show notes, so check them out. Also, if you haven't done so already, consider visiting barrypowermusic.com. Sign up for my mailing list where I choose to shine a light. There will be some um, there will be some stuff coming up on that. Next week I will have a very special announcement. So be sure you are subscribed to the podcast to make sure that every episode lands in your notification box. 
if you'd like to be a guest or you know somebody who would be interested in being a guest and talking about their experience as a creative maker of things, send me an email from the maker to the maid at gmail.com. And if you've been enjoying the podcast or you know somebody who might benefit from it, please feel free to share it around, being generous. Also, um, a positive review on iTunes really helps with the visibility of the podcast. So it helps it show up as a genuine program, that it's a thing and not just a random yoke. Uh, as usual, check out the show notes. All the links are in there. Thanks for listening and enjoy the conversation with Fiek. I will see you next week. Fiek, very welcome to From the Maker to the Maid. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Saturday night where we're not gigging. Yeah, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get to drink some wine. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? This is unusual. So I'd like to start off with... um. Where where I normally start off is I ask people about their background. And so um everybody comes to music uh their own way, usually towards through lessons or whatever like that. But can, can you remember a time when you felt kind of ownership creatively from music? Do you know? Um I, I, I remember I remember starting playing music. Um when I was a kid, uh we used to well, you know, you've been in town a lot, you know probably every weekend with your ma in Dublin and there was always buskers on Grafton Street and there was a little German kid who played violin and his mother used to stand behind him and he was a little virtuoso he was incredible I don't know did they live in Ireland or did they just come over (laughs) he was like this kid was like the mother's pension plan he used to make a packet but I was totally uh, enthralled I was only about four and I was totally just enamoured by this kid playing violin and I thought I'd like to do that because he's he was probably this kid was like seven or eight and I was four, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So when I was five, uh, I got I was given a present of a violin from my mother. I must have hounded her for it, you know. And there was a teacher in our in my school, and her partner was a, a musician. And so he started, and I don't know was it because of me, cause, but I was definitely the first kid in the in the school, well in the class at least to get a violin and I think because of that he offered me lessons and then other kids kind of latched onto it and nearly every kid in the class had a violin at one stage well so you started violin <laughs> violin craze <laughs> in, in yeah in, in a school in Walkinstown but uh, so I was I mean I was obsessed with the violin and I'm sure I was terrible I'm sure I, I screeched through my parents' ears for a couple of years, but I I got I was proficient enough and I and I loved it, you know, um, and I played I did uh I played it until I was about fourteen and I did two years of classical and then I went back to trad because I just didn't like the classical was when you're you're asking about creativity I found there was no creativity in classical music whereas with trad I thought it was you kind of got a blueprint here's the tune and just you know there's the notes to play and if whatever you do in between isn't a big deal you know. Yeah. Whereas in classical, it, it was, it's such a it's so mapped out, you know. It's like uh, it's like uh, they're two different worlds, really, you know. So um, I actually went back to playing trad, and then but I picked up the guitar at about twelve. Uh, became absolutely obsessed with Nirvana, just after Kurt Cobain died, actually. Yeah. Because they were everywhere, and and then I was just old enough then to to get Nirvana, you know. 
um that summer so i picked up a guitar and 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 i mean it just opened up a whole did world. you did you go straight into writing on guitar or was it more you were learning tunes first and then the writing came later probably writing straight away i, I mean i'm I, I have a cousin who's a great guitarist he was in a band called shallow who are from leak slip actually um and they won the first ever <coughs> bacardi hot press unplugged and they kind of had some success as well in the I suppose it would be the mid to late 90s. Um, so he showed me a few little tunes like, you know, Come As You Are and Everybody Hurts and the usual stuff that everyone learns. And then I just went on my own and I totally just self-taught. I used to go to gigs and just watch what the guitarist was doing. There was no YouTube back then, that I think of it, but it was just a total discovery. And just um, I'm glad, actually, that I'm self-taught because... I think I've developed my own style in a way, you know, of certainly of, well, of a guitar playing, not just acoustic, acoustic and electric, um, that I mightn't have learned if I, if I had gone for lessons, you know? Yeah, that seems to be quite common with, with everyone I've spoken to is that for as much and all as the benefits come from, um, having an intensive education, it can also have like hindrance on your own kind of expression mm. and your own creativity because, you kind of you learn how the formula is and you mm. kind of go by that formula it's hard to get away from it yeah yeah i i definitely think uh f- from a uh to be a good musician all around it's good to have uh sight and sound so it's good to have a good ear and to be able to read music because I, I know some i know some classical players who are brilliant at both mm-hmm. but i know some who who kind of never got out of their comfort zone of just reading and now can't really play without a sheet in front of them you yeah know? yeah um so i think i think if i was to give anyone advice starting out i say learn try and master learning something from here and learn something by reading it you know because it's uh, they're both so useful a little bit of both mm. so in your own in your own kind of songwriting now do you uh do you find you you're kind of striving for um for kind of theoretical stuff because you hadn't a background in it? Do you find, are you kind of interested in that now, or no. are you still more of an instinctive <laughs> songwriter? Ah, definitely instinctive. I mean, I I I did two years classical violin, and it was the theory that drove me nuts because it was like um, analyzing fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and analyzing it's just, fun. Yeah, it's just, it's like breaking down a joke and and explaining why it's so good and it's just you've lost it already you know for me um and like if i don't know theory you kind of get theory naturally like i could be play, i could back then i could have been playing a tune i could learn a tune in five four and not realize i'm playing in five four now, yes yeah now obviously and when i went to rock school actually i learned bits of theory um from some of the lecturers there which was great actually um just you know learn about different time signatures and 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 stuff that I that I needed to brush up on, you know. Um, so I'm okay on theory now and keys and chords and stuff. But uh, I mean, I'm all I've always been an instinctive writer, and I've never really had an exact formula. Uh, sometimes I've written words first. Usually the music comes first, but uh, um, yeah, there's no set structure for me. I know there's some some yeah. songwriters. I know Gilbert O'Sullivan gets up at. 8 a.m. and writes until lunchtime and has a lunch and then gets back. But that's in this, I was never like that. I was a 2 a.m. middle dead of night kind of writer when there's 
you know, when the world is yeah, dead. I, th- I think music kind of sounds better at that time of day as well, too. Well, there's I less find background noise as once well. The, once the lights go, go down, you know, it's, mm. it's more it's intimate and, and kind of it can be darker as well, which, yeah. is, which is fun. I found I like to, well, be, because of uh, having, having small kids and stuff now, <laughs> I kind of have it flipped. And when, when I can manage it, I like to get up like really early, maybe five or six in the morning and right then. Because you still have that kind yeah. of nighttime feeling. Of course you do, yeah. But it's, you know. Before the kids get up, like. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah. Cool. Not, but because I'm lucky enough to have this space, this studio space. Yeah. So I can come out and make Must a little bit that. of noise. And it's not really, it's not really a big problem. Mm. But I but I find that you, you do need that time of the day where nothing else is going on for anybody. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know? when, like when the world is asleep, it's just, it's a beautiful time. It's a magical time, I think. Yeah, creative. Mm. It really, really Juices is. Juices are flowing. Yeah, I don't. I can't see myself getting up at five a.m. to to that right. Like it's, I, I, well, I don't do it every day. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work too well at the weekends when yeah. when you're gigging. Yeah, yeah. So it gets kind of flipped on its head. But um, I like I lay in for one or two days a week if I can. Wow. Um, but but it's kind of out of necessity mm. more than enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's tough to enjoy getting up at five in the morning. Yeah, I I, I recently joined a gym. Uh, just because I'm getting fat, really, and I, I I find it hard to get out at night of the house because it's uh, trying to get the kids to sleep is a nightmare. Um, so I haven't mastered actually going to the gym. Yeah. So <laughs> if I can't master that, I don't know if I can master getting up at five in the morning to write a song. But never say never. Well, this is it. You should try it. Sure, don't knock it till yeah. I've, I've never been a morning person. So, uh, like, are you are you a prolific writer even now that you have no. kind of less time? Or not at the moment? No, I have no time at the moment, and I've no space at the moment, and I'm living with the brother-in-law. And no, so I'm not writing anything at the moment. But um, before, I guess before I probably had kids, um, I would go through sports of writing lots, and even now that I say that I'm not writing at all, I'm I'm kind of always writing. There's always there's always something to be sung in t- into the iPhone recorded and there's always little noodles and ideas going around. Um, and, you know, I've often said I'm not a prolific writer and then I look, I, I listen back or I go through my recordings and there's loads of stuff there. So yeah, there's the nucleus of a lot of things there. But um, no, I look forward to having my little uh, home studio set up and everything ready to go and, and spending some time getting back to writing because I'm actually, I need to, I'm I'm uh, you're feeling a bit clogged up that but that and I'm going to be the artist in residence in Carlow College next summer um, f- and doing songwriting for three months so I need to uh, I need to shine up the tools you know so is that a teaching gig yeah kind of yeah yeah it's uh, yeah so I'll be the, I'll be the songwriter slash artist in residence and that encompasses uh Given master classes and lectures and one on ones. All right, cool. Um, it's kind of open as to what how it will pan out, but um, yeah, just well, it, it's a difficult thing to quantify, and uh, that's partially the reason that I started this podcast was to kind of try and delve into other people's process and how you know how they take these things apart and how they look at them, um, mm. because I that's the way I like to do do things myself. Um, but like your your own process, how would you uh, how would you describe that? Has it changed a lot since your younger songwriting days? Or probably not that much. 
Probably not, actually. When I was a teenager, you know, soon after I picked up the guitar, I would just, I had a little uh, dictaphone and I'd put, uh, if I didn't have a blank tape, I'd just get some old tape of my parents and put tape over the, the holes, you know, so I could yeah, record yeah, over yeah, yeah. <laughs> Old school. And, uh, and I'd just play until... 45 minutes was up and then I turn the tape over and record another 45 minutes of whatever just uh, whatever I just play um, whatever came into my head and then I'd listen back to it and go oh I could make a song out of those that little chords yeah um, so in a way I mean I don't have an hour and a half to just play whatever random stuff but in a way I would often just come across a little riff and go oh I can do something with that or um, I'd, I'd often have a, a subject matter in my head that I want to write about and I could just be playing away and find the right mood in a, in a riff or in a chord sequence and go okay now now I can now I know where I'm going to go with that song, yeah, you know, yeah, so. yeah. Um, so in a way yeah I'm, I've kind of always written like that almost stream of guitar consciousness yeah yeah I think I think most people um, very few actually that I've spoken to have really kind of flipped their their way of writing on their you know on its head and uh, mm. once it's nearly once you find the way in from like when you when you just learn it that's kind of it mm. you kind of run with it yeah i mean and there's definitely songs i've written in different ways but that's the most common one uh, but you know when it comes just go with it that's kind of my philosophy so if you mm. get a good lyric and a two line in your head melody just go with it or if you whatever have a little rift and you think okay let's just go with it you know that's gonna be cool yeah mm. that's don't really analyze it too much yeah and do the ideas come easy or do you find they do, do you ever... they do um in i mean in the sense that i could write a song now mm. it might not be a good song but i can write a song it could be absolute garbage but Sometimes you have to write those songs in order to get back into writing, you know, to get the yeah. juices flowing again. Yeah, yeah. I remember years ago, Damien Dempsey telling me, and I was only about 22 at the time, and I just said, he's like, oh, how's the writing going? I said, I'm, I'm really blocked. I can't do it. And he said, get up tomorrow morning and just write anything. And I was like, ah, yeah. But, and he said, no, no, it just doesn't matter. Just write something. Uh, and then you're writing again. And I did, and I wrote a song, and the song was fine. It was okay. Um but you're kind of over that hump then in your head because it's really I mean writer's block is such a just a mental block it's it's yes that's all it is you know yeah so if you kind of take the power out of your head and just do it just write just write anything. even if nothing if nothing can come yeah just write anything and it could sound like something else but it doesn't matter it's just get writing yeah I would agree with that I think uh, do you know there, a lot of the time uh, artists I think are, are very precious <laughs> about Mm. Do you know when i sit down and i'm gonna write a song it's got to be like it's got to be the next it's got to be one, amazing right? and you know the the bad songs are good for you like they serve that purpose of, of you know it's course. like uh it's like practicing anything you know you have four four attempts and it's wrong all the time but then on the fifth time it's like oh that's what i was looking course, for that's yeah. the time yeah of course and you delve into any band big band even the beatles i mean the beatles have some rubbish songs even oh, if you yeah. listen to some of their demos or just stuff they were trying out uh, some of you go ah, that's just a nothing song but it doesn't matter they didn't put them on the album those songs they put the crackers yeah. on and even some of the stuff they left off are crackers but um, 
Yeah, every band has has just whatever. Just so you're kind of cool with it. You can you can run with it, and you don't really worry too much about it's always being blocked or it's always ticking away in the head. So like if I, if I wrote a song now that I liked, it's always ticking away in the back of my head what I can do with it. It's 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 almost like an obsession, but it's just it's it's like OCD or something. It's just always it's always going, and you're always tweaking in your head, you know. Spend a lot of time in our heads, songwriters. I think. Mm. We do, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how do you find? Do you know? Do you, how do you get into the headspace of, to write when you do get the time to write? Do you just literally go. I I don't need anything to, you know, a cup of coffee and a pen, and I'm I'm there. Because I have spoken to some people. Mm. Um, Alton Conlon was on, and he spoke about. What he likes to do very first thing in the morning is just get out of the house and go walking away from his phone. And he doesn't and have kids, does he? Older. Well, he doesn't have kids, yeah. <laughs> but um, but like I mean, it's not it's He's not difficult to get up though. and go for a walk. Yeah. You know, if you get up earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah but but this idea of you know kind of giving yourself mental space yeah, to course, uh, yeah. to write from. You know? yeah of course definitely I mean it's like I was saying earlier the dead of night when, when the world is asleep um, it's just silence it's just he- and, and silence aids headspace you know yeah it's like meditating you know people meditate to shut off the outside all the outer sound the white noise and it's the same thing it's just so much more conducive to writing if you've got silence you know and yeah uh, or get, you know going out for a walk is just just getting away from life I suppose isn't it yeah. Well, have you any um, have you anything, any kind of rituals that you use, any processes that you use specifically to kind of get into that space? Mm. Or it's like whenever I get the chance, I'm just. Go- I know it is different when you have kids; you have less time to. Uh, no, I've no pro. I've no real process. Uh, uh, I never really had other than writing really late at night. Mm. That was uh, that was always the thing I enjoyed most. So um, no, no set process. <laughs> yeah just go for it yeah well there's a lot of wisdom in that too you know you can kind of tie yourself up in knots thinking i need to do all these things before i'm in a position yeah, to write exactly and then if one thing goes wrong um you know you can you can cause yourself anxiety you can kind of get worried about things and um that yeah that's probably why i've never really had a process or, or a way of doing things exactly the same because it's just it's just life's just not that easy so just go for it when you can and enjoy mm-hmm. it and, and we're very privileged to i mean i'm hugely privileged to be a full-time professional musician and to be able to write songs and play them to people i mean it's ridiculous really that i make things up and expect people to pay to see me you know yeah repeating what i made up it's ludicrous really but it's a very privileged position so um listen life is short so just enjoy it yeah well just kind of on that point there um about being in a privileged position but do you think I've, I've just spoken to a few artists recently and it's kind of almost as if you know a writer or an artist it's kind of like this dirty word now where it's like when you tell people what you do it's kind of like well i do this and it's like i wouldn't expect people to come and pay for it even even though you do and you feel it's valuable there's kind of a yeah. an unwritten rule that what you're doing is not valuable if you know what i mean well i think that's partly to do with the country we live in 
Uh, I think it's also partly to do with uh, the fact that it's much harder to make money from original music with, you know, there's no, there's no real record companies anymore. Spotify and all the streaming and stuff. I mean, I'd be lucky to make 100 euro a year out of uh, streaming. Um, but And then on the other hand, you'll always have people who um, just don't understand it because why would they, you know? You're kind of set up to, you know, finish school, go to college, get a job and have a family or whatever. And being an artist or a writer or a poet or anything just totally goes against all that. There's no job security. There's no pension. There's no, there's nothing that's safe in it, you know. But yet, like there's an overwhelming need to, to go do it and to work really diligently on it. Oh, yeah. But that's not understood by pe- people who aren't artists, I suppose, you know, in the same way that. I don't understand someone uh, getting a job at 21 and sitting in the same office until they're 65 or 66 and they get a golden watch and they, whatever, move to their apartment in Spain. It just sounds like hell to me. Yeah. But also I think in Ireland, you know, there kind of can be an attitude towards anyone that's um, in the arts. For one reason, because um, there's so many artists and musicians in Ireland, so people take it for granted. Mm-hmm. You go to Germany, they love live music, Irish music, they love it because it's a rare commodity. You know, songwriters and musicians in Ireland are not a rare commodity at all. There's loads. There's yeah, loads. And loads of really good ones. Um, but, and then people also think we're all uh, scrounging the system that we don't pay tax, which nothing could be for. In fact, the tax bill come up quite soon. Yep. Um, nothing could be for. As do I. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, anything that's a little bit different or alternative, people will have a a, a gripe about. We're, 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 uh, and do you, do you think, like, culturally, there can be a sea change to a more, you know, more positive outlook for for artists from people that mightn't necessarily understand? How do you think artists can bridge that gap? Oh, I don't know. It's not up to the art. I don't know. I think it was, music is pretty cyclical anyway, you know. I think music at the moment is terrible. That like, and when I say music, I mean music that's played on commercial radio stations. Um, it's just, just I think it's, it's insipid. I think it's boring, uh, and that's coming from a songwriting p- perspective. But you know, people people go in their droves to see gigs in the tree arena and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's just my opinion as well. So what does that say? Well, you're not alone in your opinion. You see, this is, you know, it's only one person's opinion, though. You know, and whereas twelve thousand people are of the opinion that a particular gig in the tree arena is worth whatever eighty euro. But is that because they're, you know, they're just marketed to in in a different way? You know, uh, and I don't think so. I, I I think people just like what they like. I don't think people the mass public generally thinks too much about music. They hear it on the radio. They like it. They go and see it. Um, or sometimes they don't like it and they don't go and see it. Think, some things can just take off and there's no explaining it or under, understanding it. There's yeah. certainly things that have taken off that I will never understand, but that's because I'm so more invested in songwriting than, you know, someone who's a carpenter or whatever, a bricklayer or teacher or whatever. So do you think you can have a sustainable career as a musician in 2019? I do, but... but it's very difficult as an original musician just playing originals. So like I, I play with the Late Late Show house band. 
mm-hmm. which is a godsend. I just got that gig a few weeks ago. So that financially helps me out um, and allows me to do other things. I run an open mic in Dublin as well. So I'm, I remember hearing Iggy Pop saying, when someone asked him, what's your advice to young musicians? And he said, diversify your income streams. And that's, I thought, yeah. that's he's bang on the money because... Uh, you just need to have a good few gigs on the go in order to survive. It is doable. I'm doing it. I'm proof. But it's, you know, it's, uh, there's no union. There's no pension. There's no, uh, there's do you no think, backup. Do you think that diversifying, like, I, I totally agree with you. But do you think that the diversifying your income streams can kind of dilute some of your output creatively? It depends on what your income streams are. Well, that's a good point. But I, I do you know I, I, what I suppose what I'm trying to say is, do you think there are a lot of unwritten songs because of the way it's kind of panned out for or sure. un, unwritten or unmade sure pieces? I'm sure of there art. are, but like everyone's different. Everyone like, look, someone can be in a country and Irish band. And I mean, I, I'm no fan of country and Irish music. I think it's paint by numbers music. There's incredible musicians that play that stuff, though. Some of them might go home and get spurred on to write songs that they wouldn't if they weren't in that so everyone's different but uh, like when I was talking about being in a privileged position you know and you were saying songs aren't getting written there's people living in Syria who are songwriters well, of who, course, who, yeah. who haven't had time to write a song in 10 years probably you know so you just it's all it's all relative really but I suppose yeah, the first world problems yeah, absolutely. But, first world problem, yeah. Yeah, but I guess, you know, just relatively speaking, um, but it's part of the reason for this podcast is to kind of discuss these kind of things with, with people who would be in a similar situation mm-hmm. as myself because I've had to diversify and, you know, and I'm looking at kind of trying to pivot to being more of a, of a kind of an originals artist yeah. um, going forward. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm curious how like someone like yourself has, has kind of navigated that way. Um, I think for me, uh, running the open mic in Dublin is a great way of uh, making a few bob and staying in touch with the songwriter scene and with original music. Um, and then other stuff that I do, I've done some voiceover work, believe it or not, listening to this voice, I actually have done some voiceover work for TV. And I've and I've been lucky enough to make some well to be a part of some TV shows involved with music, so you know, especially with voiceover work. If I just go in, it's really good money. I go in for a couple of hours, I do it, and then I walk out, and I'm not invested in it. It's so it's money in the bank, and it's I walk out and I don't think about it anymore. You know, so if you can kind of get gig, gigs like that where, um, you just you can switch on do it and switch off your brain isn't as invested in it as it is the song you're writing at the moment you know yes yeah yeah so um i guess it's picking and choosing the right gig for you if you want to be creative yeah that's that's really interesting if you can pick and choose i mean i'm i've been very lucky over the last few years to been asked to play with different bands and and done tv stuff and that that allows me you know do that stuff and be creative separately and i've been i mean like in in the last couple of years i've been playing with pauline scanlon aldock 
and Bioga and they're three original acts you know mm-hmm. so it's doing that stuff which is great and then doing my own stuff which so that's four original acts you know yeah um, so I'm lucky as well that way you know that I've 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 been I've been I've done something where I've been asked to and how do you find like switching in and out of of other groups and love collaborating it. love it yeah love it especially with Aldock I really enjoyed playing with Aldock because that was just able to show off the electric guitar chops and use all my pedals and effects and stuff which um, were gathering dust until yeah. I joined that band yeah so 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 do you do you write much with that with electric guitar no no but as I said I haven't had a chance to write much in the last while anyway but uh, no, I never wrote much with with electric. Um, no, it was generally always acoustic or the very odd time piano. Yeah. Or even nice. My wife is a a pianist and, and singer, so we have a lovely Yamaha upright in the house, um, which is great because I can't play keyboards that aren't weighted, you know, weighted. Yes. I, I, yeah, can't, yeah. I just can't do it. It just feels like playing a kid's toy. Yeah. Um, so playing the Yamaha upright is really really nice and it sounds great it's a lovely one yeah I, I always enjoy writing on piano it's my favourite to write on uh, yeah way more than guitar really I think yeah. yeah I guess you can see everything in front of you you can see whatever four octaves it is yeah I, str- I but I I tend to struggle with guitar to find how it fits in overall compositions because I'm a guitar I consider myself a guitar player mm. You always kind of have the mind like, well, when's my solo? Or do you know? Yeah, you, you kind and the of think can be just the one that's driving it the whole time. Yeah, and the to work, to work the guitar in into a composition in the right place, I think is really really difficult. And even when you're performing with bands and stuff, is to to finding your own space. Yeah, yeah, Where for not, that instrument. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's known when not to play, which can be a lot of the song sometimes, and that can be hard. Yeah. And because I, you know, I didn't officially study piano and know all the ins and outs of it, some of the the wrongness on a piano can can be really right. I find. Mm. For yeah, and again, like like I was saying earlier about kind of being self taught. I, I sometimes when you're getting lessons, depends on the teacher, I guess. But um, a lot of that uh, off the cuff stuff can be kind of taught out of you, coached out of you, you know. Mm-hmm. You sometimes see people talk, saying it about footballers where they're just too coached and the and the kind of spur of the moment uh, creativity can be lost, you know. So it's like, I mean, I think Bill Withers, I don't think he played piano and he got a little toy piano and he went C up to the F, I think. Uh, and he wrote uh, Lean On Me. Doom, 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 doom. Oh, yes. Doom, yeah. doom, doom, doom. And he probably wouldn't have done that if he'd done piano lessons. That's true, yeah. And you'd probably approach that as, that's way too simple. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. You'd go, well, it's two chords and three passing chords or whatever, you know. But, um, yeah. But that's it, yeah. The the simplicity. How about lyrics? How about lyric writing? How do you find, writing lyrics, do you find that a challenge? I I, I never find it that challenging. I've written some terrible lyrics, of course, as everyone does, but... I um, I I think the thing I find most challenging is finding something to write about that's interesting that hasn't been written too much about before. Um, and and obviously when I did the my last album, the Revolution, that was a lot. That was to do with nineteen sixteen and War of Independence and even World War One. 
Um, so there's not that much stuff written about that, certainly not contemporary stuff. Um, and I've written a few bits and bobs about growing up. Uh, my parents were very political growing up, so uh, we were brought in a lot of marches. So I've, I've a couple of bits about that, you know, which is definitely atypical to you know most kids well i think i think politicized music is getting you know it's there's very little now when you think of you know protest singers and protest songs Mm. and you know the the history of that and it's hard to do good you know it's hard to write like look anyone can write a song called fuck trump yes but no one can write a clever song with clever words about that subject or about Jesus, the weird state the world is in. Well, if you could, if you could write a song changing somebody's mind, who's like a hardened Trump supporter, do you know that's yeah, that would be more valuable good than look with that, do you know. But it doesn't seem to be on anybody's radar, uh, you know, artistically. Billy Bragg is always the one I think of when it comes to, you know, being on the money politically. Uh, but I mean, he, but he's, he's been, going a long you know, time. He's he's yeah, Thatcher's yeah. bulldog, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm sure there are uh, American artists that are political. There's definitely a lot of hip-hop artists, I think, that are political and that are smart. But uh, I just haven't heard them, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's definitely no, there's definitely nobody that's a huge pop star that has anything to say. But that's probably not new anyway, is it? Yeah. So when you approach a project like that album where you have, like such an over overriding theme do you find do, do you find like it a little bit less personal to do than if you're writing songs say about you know your feelings or emotions <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> um, um is it easier to write from a kind of a more objective place rather than a, a kind of a more emotional place it's probably a bit harder actually it's probably a bit harder to take yourself out of it and write it while wearing someone else's shoes you know um, because you want to, you want to. If you're writing in a character, you want to honor them and do the best job, even if it's just a fictional character, uh, the best job you can to get the point across. Um, but it's exciting that though as well to to write, uh, you know, unconventionally as well. Like uh, there's a song on that album, The Revolution, called Mill Street Bridge. Um, which was written from the perspective of a, a young English soldier um, in World War One who arrives in Dunleary, Kingstown Harbour, thinking he's in France. Because that's what a lot of them thought, you know. Really? They thought, yeah, they arrived in 1916 to quell a band of rebels, Irish nationalists and Republicans. And, and uh, you know, they were training for World War One, So mm. they thought they were arriving in France. And then they, after a while, went a lot of Irish accents in France. Wow. And then they were just sent through Mill Street Bridge, like they were in, in the trenches in, in World War One. They were just sent over the top and there was like 13 or 14 Irish volunteers just picking them off instead of just going around the block. Like, you know, it was just typical yeah. at the time. But yeah, so that song was written from the perspective of a young working class English soldier, especially because... Um, well, James Connolly's first arrival in Ireland was in a British Army uniform when he was a teenager. Um, and uneducated you know and and so many of them are uneducated and but but writing from the the kind of opposite side because i'm so i'm a proud irish quite republican politics um but so that was a challenge and an exciting one to write from 
the other side, you know, because it's too easy to write, a, you know, a song giving out about the so, Brits. So you're going to write a pro-Brexit song next? No. <laughs> well. But it does it, help you. Like, it, I know what you're saying. But I could, I know what you I, say, I, mean, like, I could write a pro-Brexit song in order to try and understand that point of view. Um, and it would be a good, interesting challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it would go against everything I believe yeah but i i see where you're coming from though to like i mean the only way to have a real compromise in an argument is to understand both sides and see Mm. what that actual compromise might be but this is what's missing at the moment in the world like especially in the states i mean there's there's no there's no critical thinking it's so polarized it's either you're either for this guy or against this guy Mm. and i remember being gigging in america when obama was president and and in milwaukee most people I spoke to hated Obama. And then I went an hour down the road to Chicago and most people loved Obama. And nobody said, I don't like his foreign policy, but I like what he's doing with health. There was no, there was no actual conversation. It was just, I love him or I hate him. So it's, yeah. just, it's just like... Popularity. It's like a schoolyard, you know. I don't like that person. I do like that person. So, and that's a scary place to be in when, when, you know, these people are determining the future of the planet, you know. Yeah, and this is why it's so important, though, to, you know, to use music which has this capacity to uh, inform people. I mean, there's such a history of it in in art, you know. Of course, I mean the '60s, Woody Guthrie and Dylan, and they they all had stuff to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I, I just don't, I just don't know if, uh, you know, those sort of alternative artists or artists who have a a point or a message or something serious to say are getting the uh, time on the airwaves that they would have back then, you know. Um, everything seems kind of, everything's ironic nowadays, you know. So if I came out with a Dylan-like protest song, people would say, he's evoking the memory of Dylan instead of mm-hmm. going, this is a guy who has something to say, you know. So um, I don't know, it's, we're, we're in a very media-driven world and the media is, the news is written by a couple of people, I think, you know. Yeah, 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 and and filtering, filtering your music through, um, such a such a wide, you know, barrage of stuff that mm-hmm. everybody, everybody sees every day when they're scrolling. You know, it's like little bits and pieces of, of, of kind of random. So it's so fragmented. You know, the world is fragmented. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, well, there's definitely a song there. Just, yeah. Not possibly a bad one, but <laughs> possibly, yeah. Um, it is. It it's it's a. We're living in a very weird time. I think you know. At least, like, I mean, I remember in the eighties there was two big characters politically, and that was Charlie Hoy and Margaret Thatcher. And they were huge personalities, and Reagan was another one. You know, and you, you kind of knew exactly what they were well maybe you didn't know exactly what charlie was but you kind of did uh, you know you knew what his more or less you, you yeah. knew what he he was supposed to have stood for you know especially when dealing with the north and margaret thatcher and you knew exactly what she stood for and she was such a pro-unionist and and rule britannia and all that and reagan was the hollywood star who became president you kind of knew who these people were now i don't know I had no idea who Putin is. I have no idea what Trump actually is or what he stands for. Yeah. If anything, Boris Johnson, I have no idea what that guy does. I, I, I have no idea. But he's, uh, maybe it, he doesn't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he's in such a strange position. Of his own doing as well, though. Yeah, I yeah think absolutely. He's, I think he's smarter than 
he he lets on but listen I don't think Nelson Mandela could get out of that situation uh, yeah it's but good. it's 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 fascinating it's like uh, as an as an outside observer looking at it to see like a whole culture you know so divided and and unsure about what it is that they want and it, it's really it, it just represents you know it kind of represents the modern world in a in a really kind of profound yeah, way i, I mean, think yeah it's it's mad because like so much of that brexit vote we're totally gone off topic but so are we are yeah, but so but much of that brexit vote was anti-immigration and you know racist but not everybody who voted brexit is a racist far from it but then on the other hand you have people saying open the borders which is a ridiculous thing to say as well because it's just not practical so um there seems to be very few people who just go who are just saying lads let's just have a civilized conversation about where we're going you know mm-hmm. everyone's shouting it seems yeah and nobody's listening but this is the problem there is there's zero listening going on <laughs> yeah you know and uh to be a little bit more reflective would be uh would be nice and some moderate politicians yeah i mean bring back garrett fitzgerald's type politics you know because at least he was a gentleman but like you, you've the president of America who who talks to his people through Twitter well talks to the world through Twitter so instead of releasing statements he writes things out poorly in whatever 126 characters it's just and, it's, and half the time it's just having a go at someone you know it's it's yeah diplomacy is dead and buried forget about it yeah it's the, the lens through which we all view the world now is these kind of tiny little snippets of and, and and like social media is a huge reason for it social media is a huge reason for the world being the way it is you know i think well i think you know i think we, we probably all use you know technology oh. you know more than we'd probably want to admit yeah. um as oh, as oh. a crutch yeah but but i, I think Social media, look, look, I love social media. I think it's a huge, and, and it was a huge tool in in Trump getting elected, and it was fascinating to watch. But, you know, it's dangerous as well. It can be very dangerous, social media. And um, even that, that couple uh, that did the little ad, you know, that couple, and he's black. And oh, she's yes. White, yeah, yeah. And they were attacked on Twitter, like, viciously attacked to the point where they considered leaving the country that's that's shocking shocking but 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 that's social media that's done that you know if this was 20 years ago uh they wouldn't have had that viciousness because people aren't as brave face to face but could you imagine you know could you imagine the real people behind those twitter accounts Mm. and the people who they've sent who they've mentioned in their tweets imagine them all standing in a room and say okay here's your phone here's what you've written you say it out loud what you said to that person and look them in the eye and say you know how easy would it be it's like there's so little consequence brave brave behind a fake profile you know Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's really hard to uh they're like there's no control over it it's there's no control and 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 we've world leaders who have no control over themselves on, on social media so it's i don't know but anyway there's plenty of uh subject material for songwriting well there you go so yeah 
Next project is next project is writing and then the next project after that is to get people to listen to it and that's the hard part but that's where social media comes in again <laughs> you know and this is where the benefits are, are the thing known. is like the thing is i i now i can put up a video a new video a new song and post it to twitter and maximum 20 likes you know or a few retweets i put up a tweet a few weeks ago about a, a really stupid joke that i made up <laughs> and it got 2000 likes and 450 retweets you know so you know something either grabs the attention or it doesn't but and then it's gone yeah it either it either gets legs or it goes so when you approach writing and putting together an album or do you know would would that ever be a consideration now that uh i'm gonna like i'm gonna change up the way i write as in i'm gonna ditch this like 30 second ambient guitar intro and hit them with the chorus like straight away does does that ever feature in your writing or would it ever be a consideration now if i'm trying to write a hit it would yeah but yeah i'm trying to write a hit sometimes i'll just write a song that i think is just an obvious pop song and then you'd be like yeah start with the chorus or get to the chorus quick and you know but then other songs are just not built for that and they just don't that's, that's not what they're but they're this doing. is it like i mean so with social media it seems to be instant yeah it's like well have a couple of songs i know i always remember hearing um damon albarn talking about when he was writing songs with blur and he's like the record company would come in and say i'm and he'd say like here's here's the three singles and they're like banger singles and that means they pretty much left us alone for the whole rest yeah. of the album. And he's like, I could do whatever I want as long as I got the three singles for the yeah. record company. And they were and more they were or less going to, singles, they, they were banger singles. And and yeah, I, yeah, that's, yeah. Do you know, so it like, I mean, if that was his philosophy, do you know, to keep record companies happy, so the majority of his work could be kind of more authentic, maybe. Yeah. Then, then maybe it's, it's worth thinking about. That was the days when, when record companies you know pumped big money into bands and acts you know but the principle would still be the same you know you could you could try and write i think if you get to a certain level attention. i think if you get to a certain level you can do that i think someone like lewis capaldi although his stuff is all pretty slow and emotional but let me see who else picture this if you're at that level say mm-hmm. picture this i'd say if they wanted they could have three obvious singles and then the rest of their album I think they're at the level where they could do that, where they could do what they want. So there's some acts that can, but uh, not many. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's an, it's an it's interesting been, I thing. Know. I mean, I, I like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, it doesn't. It's, for, for me, when I did, when I had, I put two albums out. For me, there was like always on, on each album, two or three obvious singles. And the ones that I sent into radio as singles and some of them uh, got nicely played and some of them didn't. But um yeah, you listen to an album, you kind of know what the single is. But there's very few albums. If the album is still alive, that is, the concept of the album. There's very few albums where every song could be a single. I mean, off the top of my head, I would say Bad by Michael Jackson. I think every song on that was a single. Yeah. Well, um, I don't I don't mean that you'd write every song a single. But I mean, um, the, I, I heard a, a theory once which I suppose is pretty sound, is that like, it's kind of like your big song is like 
when a space rocket has taken off. You need these giant boosters mm. and this huge amount of inertia to get you into orbit. And then once you're there, you can ditch the boosters and you're kind of cruising around in orbit and you don't need a whole lot of energy up there. Yeah. So he, like, wherever I heard it, used, like, David Bowie as, a, as an example. And he said, look at life at Mars. Life on Mars was his, like... Launch. Inertia. Yeah. And he had these huge things. And, and maybe that's something to think about for artists when you're putting together releases for, you know, to keep that with social media in mind. It's like, here's my little bits of inertia on my album to, to you know ah yeah of course I mean look it's there's, there's no there's no better feeling than a crowd singing your song back to you so they're going to do that with the big songs so mm-hmm. you want to keep writing those big songs every now and again anyway without you know compromising your craft or anything you know so yeah I mean I mentioned him earlier but Damien Dempsey is a great one for the big chorus and the crowd singing and and he does it on every album, you know. There's a song or two where it's just it's a big song and it's a big sing along, and, and he's great at it. Yeah, he's good at it. Yeah, and getting into it quick as well in the song early in the song. But uh, yeah, that's enjoyable. That's, that's that would be a chore for me. I wish I had more of them to be honest. Yeah, true. <laughs> is it and I'm talking about it as if it's like something that's easy to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, it's totally elusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just before we finish up, um, can you recommend a few books or resources or anything inspirational that you found has really kind of, you know, helped with your creativity, your songwriting, or you know, or having a career in music in I general? Bought, I bought a book about a year ago called The Artist's Way, and I've only read the first three pages, but it's supposed to be very good. Yeah, I think everybody who I've asked that question has mentioned the artist's yeah. way. Uh, other than that, I actually find books are a great source of inspiration. So, I mean, a few of the songs that I would have written uh, on the last album would have been from reading books, just normal books. Well, for that album, mostly history stuff, Irish history. Um, but, uh, yeah, reading, reading. Yeah, I remember reading Dracula. Dracula is probably one of my favorite books. It's an incredible book, and it's oh, incredible yeah. uh, use of uh, words to create a mood. Um, I remember in school, my favorite poet was Thomas Kinsler. Thomas Kinsler, Kinsler, anyway, and he was brilliant at just creating a mood, almost like I was saying earlier. I think he's a poem about um, the dead of night, and his wife is asleep beside him in the bed, and that he's in his in-laws in Wexford and I think he, I think he says it's like the house is breathing in and out you know it's the night oh, is yes. breathing and um, so just reading in general anything creative poetry or, or uh, fiction or anything uh, is good for stoking the flames of creativity yeah cool 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 well thanks very much for coming pleasure I hope I didn't wrap it on too much no no that's what it's all about that's what know. the edit button is for well, I don't think we'll edit that. <laughs> good, yeah. good. It's turned political. Yes, yeah. it went down a few rabbit holes, all right. And I stand by every word. Good stuff. Thanks again. Thank you. You are listening to From the Maker to the Made podcast. 